Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Legal Defense with Kirk O'Bear. And John Birdsall. How are is you? That a, is that a better introduction than my That's normal? That's an excellent. That my was, normal no, that, one? That was, that was a, um, uh, an alternative uh, uh, announcer voice, which I which I liked very much. It was, it was a little more subtle, downplayed. Yeah, it was nice. Well, I went from the morning drive to NPR voice. <laughs> no, more like the... Um, the afternoon um, slow rock or maybe like mellow yep. rock station or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a great Howard Stern bit where this guy calls and he says, um, Hey, my dad is getting older and he used to be a DJ his whole life. And he'd like to order a pizza. It's a pizza place, you know, and, but he'd like to do it in his DJ voice. Is that okay with you? And he's like, I guess so. So that's, Hey, <laughs> I would like to have a pepperoni pizza yeah maybe you could do it like the um uh the soccer announcers you know it's like <laughs> goal so anyway um hey i yeah. want to talk about big news i got big news here what's got going on in the law news. well uh there was a very significant supreme court decision that came out earlier this week on monday as a matter of fact i Did read you hear? It. oh good 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 because um well it was unanimous uh, too. It was unanimous, and this is this is what's so shocking is that they were like, "Wait a minute! Remember, uh, the case was Caniglia versus Strom, and they were addressing the Katie versus Dombrowski decision, which is where this concept of the community caretaking exception, you know, which the, which that's sort of become common parlance in the law that we call it this community caretaking exception." Um, and this this particular case dealt with it's called you know, a, it's called a, the the community caretaker. We should, maybe we should break this down a little bit, yeah, for people that don't know that. But so the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution says that you um, can only search um, if you have probable cause and a warrant, um, and it protects against quote unreasonable searches. And of course, that warrant requirement has been riddled with exceptions, mm -hmm. you know, things like inventory, if they impound your car or, you know, um, every traffic stop has Fourth Amendment implications <clears throat> because they don't need probable cause. They need reasonable suspicion. Anyways, on and on and on and on it goes. I mean, you could literally, you know, spend a year in a law school class on this. But the community caretaker is another judge-created exception to the Fourth Amendment and which basically says that if we're worried about any member of the community, yeah, just plain old worried. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're going to ignore the community caretaker, and we're going to do a search if we feel it's necessary to help that person. Right. And so it's like coached. It's 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 um it's it's a uh, cast in some sort of a positive light when really yeah. it's an invasive procedure. We're here to help you. But while we're at it, yes. we're going to look for evidence of a crime, <clears throat> but we're not going <laughs> to say that we're searching for evidence of a crime. We're, we're here to help y'all. So, here, here's, so here's the wild thing. Okay. The, the opinion itself, which was written by Clarence Thomas, um, it basically, it, he's acting like they never did such a thing, you know, in Katie. And he's like, uh, 
There's no version of the Katie's car exception that applies to police entry into the home under the Fourth Amendment. What is reasonable for vehicles is different from what is reasonable for homes, he wrote. So basically, this this is going back saying, hey, all these people that have been relying on community caretaking to enter a home, uh, you're flat out wrong. That's not what we ever meant in the decision in Katie. All right. So this is basically what it comes down to. If you don't have a warrant, an exigency or consent, you cannot search a home. Now, the problem is, is community caretaking an exigency? And that's part of what the, the finer slicing and dicing comes down to, because Katie talked about the fact that, it, that this isn't pure exigency. It's something beyond that. It was it was basically when the police are serving a completely different role in their uh, you know in their official capacity so that's where everything gets like totally confusing on this thing but well uh, maybe we should you know i think some of these terms that you and i throw around and a lot of lawyers do and judges um that we understand what they mean but they aren't common used words so ex- exigency and i can't even pronounce it right now exigency is um, a a lovely legal term that really just means urgent, right? right. And so, um, and so, exigent circumstances is is kind of a catch all that the cops use all the time, mm-hmm. and that prosecutors use all the time to justify police behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, you know, Kirk, if you read this decision um, carefully. There's a, it was a unanimous decision written by Thomas, as you noted, but there was three concurrences. Mm-hmm. And one of them, one of them, and I won't tell you which justice just yet, but I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a clip from his concurrence in this. Oh dear. That, that purports to redefine what exigency is. Mm-hmm. And so, quote, the court's Exigency precedents, as I read them, permit warrantless entries when police officers have an objectively reasonable basis to believe that there is a current ongoing crisis for which it is reasonable to act now if someone is at risk of serious harm and it is reasonable for officers to intervene now. That is enough for the officers to enter, end quote. Mm. So... um. Now, that is not what Coniglia says, the right. new decision, or any other court decision has and, ever had. And I know, and I'll tell you what I, my problem with that language is that the entire line of cases that dealt with exigency uh, are, I, I would say, primarily deal with what's been termed as evanescent evidence. Here I am throwing another word out there that we got to explain, but <laughs> quickly disappearing something. The idea being you don't have time to go get a warrant, right? Because if it's, it's the classic example of the exigent circumstances, a police witness a crime in front of their eyes, like a shooting or something like that. And dude goes running into a home and, you know, they, they don't they they have probable cause to arrest this guy already before he went in the home and they go and you know, chase him into the home. And even that's not a clear cut, you know, thing. But the point is that there's still a, when you're using the term exigent circumstances, every case I've ever cited or dealt with, we're talking, we're still talking about the law enforcement function. We're not talking about community caretaking because if you blend these two concepts, they are, then you end up uh, basically 
doing the very thing that Thomas said you can't do, which is. Well, the, the problem is, is that while this is a unanimous decision and it appears clear, <clears throat> it looks like they're setting up a couple of things. One is to um, uh, to reexamine exigency itself, which would just blow a full hole, a full blown hole in this decision. Mm-hmm. And it's happened before when, for example, with Rodriguez in 2015, which held that um, they can't hold you beyond the mission of the stop. Well, that was like gutted by at least our Supreme, our state Supreme mm-hmm. Court. And and several subsequent decisions of the Supreme Court. Well, Rodriguez um, other, is still good law. It's just that they found ways to, to differentiate. To well, they redefine key terms. So, what is the mission of a stop? Well, what is what is exigency? So, they just redefine the main terms that the decision basically flows through, and that's what creates the whole. Now. The the um, justice that I read from the concurrence was Brett Kavanaugh, and <clears throat> there's no what he proposed as um, the law, the existence of the current law is not at all the case. Right? Um, there's no there's no court decision has ever held he, that. Maybe he but didn't so, have maybe he didn't have a beer that day, and he was a little <laughs> a little off. So really, if they expand the exception of exigent circumstances um, and how you define that, well, that that, that expands the number of situations and and the exceptions, you know, imprimatur. Infinitely. Infinitely. That would allow warrantless in-home police searches and seizures. Right. So – Kind of a roundabout uh, way of saying we uphold this great constitutional standard, but at the same time, we're basically laying the red carpet out for people to <clears throat> walk right on, right on in. So, you know? so the other thing that I think is interesting is that this decision came down on the exact same day that they accepted this case out of um, Texas, I guess. What was that? Abortion case? Yeah. Um, uh, and the reason that's interesting is because a lot of this comes down to um, oh, it's Mississippi actually, um, like a lot of the road decision. When I agreed and I said, "Yeah, Texas," I was just bluffing because I didn't know. Mississippi <laughs> sounded good too because it sounded like it could have been true. It could have been. Hey, we got to take a break though, so All we'll right. be right back after these messages. And we are back. So um, when we left, uh, we were. Right examining high. Well, right, we right and high, yes. Horizon. <laughs> yes, we were. But what we were really driving at was how some of these legal concepts flow through some of these cases and they seem unrelated, but they're very important. And one of those is the respect for precedent. And one of the things that um, uh, is now going to be very interesting is this new case uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is um, out of Mississippi, where they um, it's a Miss- Mississippi law that was probably purposely created just to go to the Supreme Court, but it bans abortions after the 15th week of pregnancy. And why that's interesting with the um, uh, the community caretaker decision is because of precedent. Yeah, because supposedly, supposedly, 
that was enforcing current precedent or at least not allowing the expansion of, you know, the old community caretaker with regards to cars. But as we know from the um, concurrence, they're getting ready to change that radically. Well, it seems like they're getting ready to do that with abortion, too. Well, I, I would also point out that there was another aspect of this community caretaker decision that was, you know, a, a little that caught my attention. And it was basically commenting on the fact that other courts, lower courts throughout the country have basically taken what was perceived to be a particular holding and cast it beyond its original intention. And <sighs> so it, it's a combination of supporting this idea of precedent, but at the same time going back and saying, Hey y'all, we never meant that. And that could, <laughs> that could be significant as it relates to Roe versus Wade as well. Don't you think? I mean, I do I do, you know, the, well, it's, it's, as you watch the Supreme court, like you and I, we primarily pay attention to, you know, the criminal law decisions and because that's what we do. And that's very, um, important that we do that, but I, I read um, them with my breakfast bagel every day. <laughs> so, but um, uh, but I think it's really interesting and important to look at the whole docket uh, and how decisions are made because that gives you insight as to where the court's going um, with regard to future decisions in in our case in criminal law. But you know, for example. Um, the courts just took a big shift uh, with Amy Coney Barrett coming on. Oh, a shift. shift. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes. Don't sure don't start with right. don't yeah. start with me, Kirk O'Bear. Okay. So um, so they so if you remember, uh, there was an action brought, uh, I believe, directly. So it was original jurisdiction directly to the Supremes about um, mask mandates and um, indoor congregations, so for worship services. And um, before Barrett joins the court, the court five to four says, nope, we're not getting involved in this. We're not disturbing these state rules. We're not going to strike those down. Um, and after she comes on, boom, the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So that was just a that was stark relief to show her presence and her importance. They were just and showing her confirmation hearings again I think it was earlier in the week when the question was asked. I mean, what are your views on Roe versus Wade? She would not express her own view, of course. But what she said was, I cannot imagine under any set of circumstances that that precedent would be overturned. And um, Did she considered that what she called a super president. <laughs> no, that's that, yeah, I, I, don't, the term I, mean, I guess I don't I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. She, that so. was the term she used. It's so um, confusing. I mean, are, are there cases that are super precedent and others that are not? I mean, well, you know, you know some people would say, you know, Brown, Brown versus the Board of Education is super, super precedent. precedent. Yeah. Somebody would say Miranda is or, right. um, you know, uh, things like that. Well, um, as opposed to, yeah, you know, like uh, the, the Dred Scott decision is not super precedent. I mean, it's not even precedent at all. It's just no, probably wrong. But, you know, but along the same lines, you know, we've been talking about the shifts in the court. And actually, um, it was just the recent anniversary of Plessy versus Ferguson, which in 1896 um, uh, established the concept or at least enshrined the concept of separate but equal. And um, 
And what's interesting isn't the fact of the decision. It's the dissent by um, Justice Harlan, Mm -hmm. which was like an absolutely prescient um, description of what should be, you know, people, people should be equal under the law. Race shouldn't matter, blah, 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 blah. It was like, it was, it was, I didn't realize the importance of that dissent um, until um, I really examined how it was used by uh, then attorney uh, Thurgood Marshall, later justice Marshall, but um, uh, in his many legal fights in the forties and fifties, thirties and forties and fifties um, where he was, he would, there was never a brief that he didn't cite that dissent. And of course, then it ended up, you know, reversing Plessy with the Brown decision. But um, I guess the point of that uh, story is that, you know, things flip on the court. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, we had this, um, uh, the Warren courts in the fifties and sixties with all these criminal law decisions. And now, and then we have a much more conservative court, you know, you get in the eighties, nineties and the two thousands and, and, um, they're chipping away at those. So, um, you know, the thing that one of the reasons is, I think that a lot of Supreme court decisions <laughs> seem like they're bright line rules. Well, but that's, that's the function of the court. That's what they're supposed to do. <laughs> well, they seem bright light, but they're always there's always the word reasonable in there somewhere, or <laughs> you know, you know, something those, some those, those pesky adjectives or something something that's you know open to interpretation by you know anybody, and and so that's how these things get a little slippery, which is I guess why we have jobs. Yeah, and it's another reason why it's so. Uh, fascinating. I know you and I feel the same way about this, but this is the kind of thing that keeps my brain um, well lubricated, you know, so that I feel good about doing what we do. It's it's intellectually fascinating. And I I know I've shared this with you personally many times in the past, but, you know, I wish I could go back to law school or even college or even high school with the understanding that I have now of of or the appreciation I have of history and the way that things have developed. And, uh, you know, when I was in law school, I was like, okay, read the text, read the case, blah, 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 blah. And then you're just kind of studying for the test or whatever, but the true impact. And it's, it's, these are really like testaments, not only to the times, but also the, the very nature of our legal system in our country, the character of our country. And it's just fascinating to watch how it's developed over the years. And, you know, the true import of the Supreme Court itself is often overlooked, you know. And then when you really, really study it and you really, really read these decisions and understand the history of how they've, you know, waxed and waned over the years, it it really is instructional as far as an appreciation for who we are as Americans. Well, you know, the the thing, the way I see the court is – that it it has done some just remarkable things. Um, and some would say they're ridiculous. Like, for example, the gay marriage decision, you know, um, and, and one could rightly say, well, it doesn't say anything about gay marriage in the Constitution. Well, 
That's doesn't say anything about true. AK-47s either, actually. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't say anything about AK-47s. You're correct there, sir. <laughs> but it doesn't say a lot about a lot because it's four pages long. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's depending on how big the pages are that you're talking. The, they were larger parchment, larger pages. pages. So, OK, so the larger, but, parchment. but still, but still just four pages. So, you know, I mean, um, oh, there's, dude, there's, there's, wait, wait, I just uh, on this subject, hold that thought because it's something funny. There's some new show on and it's about um, the vice president. And I wish I remembered the name of it. I should have uh, noted this, but I know you would like it. And it's actually kind of goofy. So it's when the vice president takes office and then the, she's introduced to, you know, this secret service element and some sort of assassin that's assigned to the office of the vice presidency that you only get to know about when you become vice president. And part of part of the job of the vice president is to guard in some sort of vault the actual original original version of the Constitution that nobody else has because it has an extra provision in there that says uh, an unknown agent shall assist in the protection of the country at the service of the vice president. <laughs> so okay. it's, like, it's not by Dan Brown, but it's like one of those things, you know, it's like okay. kind, of, kind of silly that way. But um, all right, we are going to have to take a break because we have, oh, our allegiance to our commercial sponsors. I'm saluting right now as ever. So we will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to legal defense. This is Kirk O'Bear and John Bertzall's joining me this afternoon. We're talking about Supreme court precedent. Take it away. Wow. John. I, I, I think you should, before you do that voice, you should warn that this is um, that any children should be oh, shuttled, shuttled that away that from the PR voice. You know, I was about to introduce the evening market report or something. <laughs> so that was actually that was actually fun and interesting to go through some of those uh, Supreme Court cases, especially since it was kind of timely. Um, but uh, but one thing that is, I think, one of the most important aspects of the entire criminal justice system and the flow of power in that system, and that is prosecut prosecutorial discretion. Hmm. So discretion um, sounds like a nice word. Discretion sounds so sweet, but it's really unbelievably. It's uh, kind of like if a, if a kid says, uh, you know, so Santa says, what do you want for Christmas? I'll leave it at your discretion to tell me what sort of wonderful gift you'd like me to give you as Santa Claus. <laughs> That's what I used to say when I was a kid and I'd go to, you know, Boston store and um, sit on Santa's lap. And I would, yeah, I would say, use your discretion, Santa. Yeah, yeah. Use it. Use it well. I'll leave it to your discretion. But just remember, I was a naughty boy. Did you have to admit that you were naughty? No, I never admitted I was naughty, but I would. I, in retrospect, I should have asked for like real estate or yeah, stocks. You were or a Republican back then. I don't know if you were when you were a little. Well, child. not when I was six. No, oh, really. Um, I know plenty of six-year-old Republicans. But I was reaching a point of discussing discretion, and discretion is means you get to decide. So if I'm the prosecutor by law, by statute, um, in Wisconsin and every other state. You you have the sole authority to decide to bring criminal charges in a particular case, and you get to decide if the facts are enough to support criminal charges beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the standard you're supposed to 
um, have before you charge, even though you only need probable cause in the complaint, which is kind of a strange thing. But anyway, are they, um, so prosecutors have that nearly unfettered power. Um, and that comes into play when police officers shoot and kill somebody, which has been happening a lot lately. And if you hadn't noticed, well, it's, it's happened <clears throat> for a long time. It's just that I it's think happened for a long time. Society's kind of paying more attention to it. And we have well, better ways of seeing no, what we have, happens. We have, we have cell phones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so no charges will be filed against North Carolina sheriff's deputies who shot and killed Andrew Brown jr. A 42 year old black man whose family claims he was executed in his car. This was happening um, as they were trying to serve a warrant. Um, but here's the full circumstances. They knew where this guy lived. He, he famously, and they also knew that he did not carry weapons. Well, and wait, hold on. They knew he didn't carry weapons? That doesn't mean they he wasn't carrying a weapon. Well, that's true. Um, but they, they knew that he, like, he actively hated guns. He didn't so have he, a reputation for that, which, did, which did the not have a would be a reason for people for, for no knock warrants and things like that. But right? also, also his, his, um, uh, his warrant was for like some trivial little misdemeanor. So it wasn't like he was wanted for murder or it was like a, he was like a serial killer or something, you know, something like that. So, um, and they shot him as he was trying to drive away and they shot him, you know, in the back of the head. And um, so the district attorney held a press conference to announce there were no, no charges were to be brought. And he did it in such a way, like, I wish we had the tape here, hmm. um, which we could just play what he actually said, but it was approximately this. And I'm barely paraphrasing. It's like these three police officers had a duty to serve this warrant, and if they and they had a duty to take him into custody, no matter what, and um, if they hadn't done it, then they would be, you know, abandoning their duty. Okay, and all right, violating I, the law. I get where you're going with this, but let me bleep, play advocate's devil here. Go ahead, or devil's advocate, I should say. Um, and, and you seem to focus on the fact that this is a misdemeanor warrant and not a felony warrant. So what sort of standards should be in place as it relates to execute? And we're talking about an arrest warrant or a search warrant. This was a search. Warrant. Um, uh, this was an arrest warrant. There was, there was both. So regardless of what type of warrant, if the warrant's been issued, it's a command from a magistrate or a judge um, that the all law enforcement is supposed to do a particular thing. And, and how is it that we can have some sort of variable standard where the police are supposed to say, okay, well, our, in order to do that job, we should ratchet it back a bit. If it's only a misdemeanor versus a felony, should they say, and then if we're getting into types of misdemeanors or types of felonies, should they say, well, okay, we're going to back off when we're 80% sure that uh, we're at risk or he's at risk, or if it's I actually, a murder, I, then it's 99%. I, I, actually, or- I actually, actually misspoke. It was actually a felony drug 
um, investigation. And uh, <clears throat> okay, so they okay. had they had a they had a arrest warrant and a search warrant for the house. But I think but the point that, is it was a drug case. It wasn't like a my, my yes yes. And I think the bigger point is the reasonableness of force. And that there goes that word again, reasonable, <clears throat> right? So what does that mean? Well, uh, to these police, that means drawing your weapons and shooting this guy in the head. Um, yeah, but isn't that the same issue that we just uh, hashed over in the uh, Derek Chauvin case? I mean, it, it wasn't so much what they were confronting, because a lot of people, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but a lot of people made hay of the fact that this is something over a, a counterfeit $20 bill, yet is does that come into play? And how does it come into play? I'm I'm not saying I believe one thing or the other, so don't jump down my throat, Mr. Birdsall. <laughs> but I'm just this is an issue that I think is very undefined and it, it leads to a lot of confusion and subjectivity. If you're looking at you know how serious is the crime compared with what ends up happening in the end, you're gonna have a lot of apparently facially unjust results. Yet what is a police officer supposed to do if they you know, is there is there a, a spectrum? Is there anywhere recognized in the law a spectrum that if you're there because the person is accused of a serious crime versus a person is accused of a, a non-serious felony? I mean, is there a different way that they would have to go about executing a warrant, arresting somebody, investigating the scene, or whatever? And and I, I've asked this myself because it is a bit you know, it's it's almost like Monday morning quarterbacking when you look back and see that, you know, someone gets murdered because of the fact that it was a, you know, a $20, you know, counterfeit whatever. It seems <clears throat> dramatically disproportionate. Uh, but on the other hand, we kind of, you know, that's kind of the role of law enforcement to be there on the scene to take care of the situation. Of course, they go overboard. They always go overboard. But. You know, would we blame them if they were if they were surrounding Osama bin Laden? And you know what I'm saying? Is there is there yeah, a spectrum? Well, is there something that there's nothing in the law that says the worse the crime or the you know or anything like that they, that there is more justifiable force? It's all based on what you know. Our the, here's another loosey goosey word. This subject. Well, maybe maybe there should be something in the law. Maybe there should be something in the law. You know, we talked about. Um, one of the reform proposals, quote, and I use air quotes when <clears throat> I say reform, but um, uh, to stop doing traffic stops mm -hmm. um, just for like minuscule things. I mean, obviously, if you're <coughs> chasing, uh, uh, you know, somebody dangerous, something yeah, that's a different story. I think but it's a fascinating um, idea. I like it. But the problem that I can't imagine how we kind of parse this out is it seems like then we're saying there'd be a lot of situations where. A crime's committed, you know, and I understand the traffic thing, but I'm trying to apply it to this. So this, no, I think this it's thing. more like it's, I think it's more going towards the pretextual stuff and the and the stupid equipment stuff, and you know the the uh, the, yeah, the air freshener, paint, you know? the <laughs> air freshener, you know, the tint, you know, all this. Well, crap. let's talk about the air freshener and the tint when we come back from uh, a break. But um, I I do understand what you're saying, and please don't hate me. Please don't. Hate I, 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 um, I could never, <laughs> never. All right. Well, we'll be right back after these messages. We are back with more 
Criminal Defense with Kirk and John. That? <laughs> Wait, that, okay, that, that sounded like a really bad radio show from the 1940s. No, it was a bad radio show from 2021. I see. Oh, that's what? It's <laughs> a bad radio show. Have you ever listened to The Saint? Um, oh, my gosh. That's a good one. It's, it's, it's not politically correct these days. It's a show? It's a radio show. From, I've never heard of it. Way back in the 30s. Oh. 30s. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'll, maybe I'll play a little intro or outro at some point of that kind no, of No, I used to listen to the whole George Burns and oh, um, yeah. and his wife. Um, Gracie. Uh, Gacy, Gracie yeah. Allen. They were funny. Yeah. I, well, I sometimes listen to that show on <laughs> Sirius when I'm, you know, there's a channel that plays all those old shows. Are you familiar oh, with that? No. Yeah, it's called Radio Classics, and it's all like the old. Uh, you it's know, like ten thousand sh- channels on Sirius. Jeez. I know it's hard to even Can't get read. to them all. Yeah, and then you like turn it on, and it's like okay, there's now there's ten new ones, you know, or <laughs> and I love the way that they'll make like a whole the whole new channel just for Bruce Springsteen or just for you too. Like, oh yeah, they do the, the they do the temporary ones like the I know the yeah. So, which is funny. Anyway, they don't really have to be. T- There's an infinite number of channels you could have. It's not like the airwaves where you only have, you know, the bottom end and the top end. And well, I'm only know. willing to scroll so far. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna, I got I got my favorites that I'm. Can I get with. you a T-shirt that says that I'm only willing to scroll so far? <laughs> it could apply to a lot of things. I think. Well, you were starting to talk about. Air fresheners and window tint. Well, these are these are um, air freshener window tints, um, broken tail lights, um, tags on your plates. These are all just made up, contrived, um, pretextual reasons that police pull people over. And in in a case in um, uh, the eighties, the U.S. Supreme Court sanctioned this, even though it was very clear that they were, you know, doing this mainly in poor communities of color, um, pulling people over, looking for drugs and that sort of thing. Um, but they would pull over every single car they could with any sort of like tiny defect. And the U.S. Supreme Court says, that's just fine. It was a case called Wren, W-H-R-E-N. Yep, yep, yep. And, um, and as you're, you're familiar, but, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. So we can change the rules with which police can operate without having to worry about their own judgment about like what's, what's reasonable and what's dangerous. The reason I wanted to talk about air fresheners is because somewhere along the line, and I would be challenged as anybody would be to figure out when this happened, but there was a law that said, uh, you know, an officer can pull somebody over if there's something obstructing a person's view and that's been, you know, there are certain things like if you had like a big, you know, I don't know, a, like a rubber chicken hanging from your rearview mirror, then, yeah, it probably does obstruct your view. Um, but it's come into play. And I, always, I always point this out to friends and family like, hey, you know, those tassels from your stupid graduation that you have, hanging, <laughs> you know, the, from when you graduated 15 years ago from high school and you're still proud of it, you know, that you shouldn't be driving around with that because a cop could say that it's obstructing your view. Um, but think about why did they even draft that law? To begin with, like, is it that important that the cops need to be looking around? I tell you exactly why they drafted it, to give a very specific and easily identifiable um, visible thing 
uh, as a reason to conduct more traffic stops. Right, They're right. encouraging it's exactly, them. It's exactly what I suspect as well. But it's all under the guise of road safety, right? Uh, that's yeah, and that's all nonsense, and everybody knows like it. the tinted so, window thing too. And that I think there's a bit of a, a tang of you know anti. It could be racist. It could be anti. You know subculture people or anti roadster. I don't know. I mean, who cares if you have tint on your window, if it's over a certain amount, but they characterize it as a safety thing. And they call it. So all these rules of the road type thing. So like the broken tail, I think, Oh, here's another good one. You know, if you have three lights, meaning two standard tail lights, and then a third supplemental light, which is not required by law, by any means, you do not have to have that third light. A lot of SUVs have them. I think my car has one, but you know you can have you can have a car that, as an option, is equipped with a third tail light in the middle. The law says that if that is non-functional, police can pull you over. So, what difference does it make if it's something that's optional? It's just more excuses. It's more reasons to fan the flames of. You know, even now, but certainly 90s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, the war on drugs. Um, well, because we're example, such. A- I had a case many years ago, and this always bothered me. But what it was is I had a client that, for the grace of God, he had a car that he could barely, you know, I don't know, he got it. It was a hand me down. All right. And he lived in a poor neighborhood. And every now and then his car would get robbed by somebody smashing the window. Right. So. He does what a lot of people have to do before they can buy a new window. They tapes it up with plastic. Okay. So he's driving down the street and my, my poor fella here, he's probably got a, I think he did have a joint, you know, the crime of the century. He had a marijuana cigarette, a reefer, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mary Jane. <laughs> he had some Mary Jane. Um, and then uh, the cop, pulled, the reason the cop pulled him over is that, you know, Hey, you have a non-functional window and I wanted to pull you over because I wanted to see if you were, number one, uh, going to get it fixed. Number two, if you were a victim of a crime recently and you need oh, help. That sounds like community caretaker. It does. It was very community caretaker-ish. Um, um, but, yeah. but uh, yeah, that was a very unfortunate. I know I've told you this story before, but the dude that he had his... Um, I had a judge find that the officer was mistaken in his original reason for pulling somebody over, but then his function shifted immediately into a community caretaker function to be polite. Have I told you this before? I know I have. The guy's driving and he's got his license plate with the correct registration valid in maybe not exactly the right place, but just a little bit off from where it is. And the cop runs his license. He realizes he has seven prior drunk driving convictions. And he's like, oh, I don't think I can see his registration that well. And uh, so he pulls him over. He gets the flashlight out, looks at it real closely. He's like, oh, yeah, he's valid. So my argument was then, okay, if he thought that he couldn't see it very well, which I think in and of itself is a bad reason to pull somebody over, but let's say he confirmed with his little flat cop flashlight that it, that it's valid. He should have just left. But then the judge asked me, he said, well, wouldn't it be rude for the officer to just leave and not explain to uh, 
Mr. Arrest, you know, you can you know the rest of the story because I got hired to represent the guy underneath the fence, drunk driving. So anyway, uh, the, mm-hmm. the cop goes up to say, oh, my bad. And uh, I said, well, that was rude. And and we need to, uh, you know, and he says, there's a community caretaker function here in order to be helpful. So he wanted to go and be helpful and say, well, that's 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 a Boy Scout helping an old lady across the street is being helpful. You know, community caretaker is supposed to, like, save people's lives and stuff. Yeah. And he's like, I want to help you by sending you to prison for however many years because you had. (laughs) So this is this reminds me of one of the Wisconsin cases that riffed off of Rodriguez about the mission of the stop. And the purpose of the stop was that um, the the car goes past, cop runs the plates sees it's registered to um, a male and sees a female driving it. And so pulls it over, you know, know, thinking uh, under the the guise that, well, maybe it's a stolen car. Maybe there's something wrong here. Right. It turns out she's under age and then, um, you know, and she's out past curfew or whatever. And, you know, this like he held her for a long time and they were trying to get a hold of her parents and this was the whole thing. But anyways, the purpose of the stop had, you know, was like completely um, sort of like just glossed over by the court, I guess. Um, but, you know, you know, just to, to go back to Mr. Brown's case, uh, his death, I should say, um, uh, one of the justifications by the district attorney was that, um, they, it was a drug case. So, um, the, and he was driving away and, um, now, uh, as, as I haven't seen the videos, but as I'm, as they were described to me, he's driving away very slowly, right? Well, this is the way he characterized, um, this is the way that, that the DA Wombly is his name. They characterized it. He says, quote, the facts of this case clearly illustrate the officers who used deadly force on Andrew Brown Jr. did so reasonably and only when a violent felon used a deadly weapon to place their lives in danger. What was the deadly weapon? The car? The car. <laughs> gotcha. It was the car. And oh, yeah. the car that they were shooting as it was going away. As it was leaving. Yeah, going away. Gotcha. Well, they, he could have so, turned around at any second and run them over, right? He, he could have, I guess. <laughs> all right. That's and, all you the time know, we have, dude. Oh no! I know. Right. Again Party next week, then. sweet sorrow. But we'll be back next week. And tune in as you, as you can every week, right here on thirteen thirty and one hundred one point five. It's Legal Defense with Kirk and John.